Um, well, thank you so much for having me here today. It's a real pleasure to be here in your church and to be invited to talk about this topic, which is creation and God's love for the environment. I was so thrilled when Claire asked me to talk about it because it's a complete passion of mine. And not only that, it's actually something I devote a big part of my life to. But that hasn't always been the case. So my conversion came when uh, my son, who's now 12, and my other son, who's now 10, were babies and two-year-old. So in our sleep-deprived state, my husband and I watched An Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore. Has anybody seen that? And um, it, it sets out, it's a documentary, it sets out graphs and statistics of how we as humans are causing damage to our world through global warming and how that damage is going to get worse. Um, it's a big problem. But my message today isn't gloomy, and it's, I have no intent to make us feel guilty. So that's my goal, to talk about these things but leave us with hope. It's quite a challenge. So today I'm going to talk about the many rich and deep reasons why God calls us to care about the environment. And I've already mentioned one, um, which is my children, love of our children. When we watched that film, my husband and I looked at each other and we said, what would we do if in 20 or 30 years' time our children looked at us and said, you knew what was going on and yet you did nothing about it? And that was the thing that just rested in our hearts. And we both actually now work on environmental issues at Tear Fund. I co-lead the advocacy team. And our job is to mobilize everyday, ordinary Christians to use our voices and the voice of the church to bring biblical values into governments and to politicians in order to change unjust policies and practices. For quite a while now, one of our main focuses has been the environment, because it is a justice issue as well. So I will talk about that a bit later. So since my conversion to finding the environment in my heart, I um, have gained a more practical and scientific understanding, but also studied a bit around the theology. And so I just want to sort of give a quick overview of the whole of theology of creation care, which is really the story of the whole Bible. So in the beginning, with creation itself. And we know that God's whole purpose is to restore those relationships through Jesus. Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself. So we're going to look at the environment and why we should care for it as Christians, especially through these four relationships. So first of all, creation itself. Um, this actually is the one I find hardest to get my head around. I, um, I'm not somebody that has been massively into birding or conservation in the past. Um, I think it's a wonderful thing for people to be involved in, um, and, and actually even more so now. But um, that wasn't the thing that attracted me the most in the first place. But I, I can see that God wants us to care for the environment simply because he created it, and he made it beautiful, and he loves it, and he wants us to look after it. Um, Last year, in September, I had one of the most exciting experiences I had of enjoying creation. I wonder what yours was earlier when you turned to your neighbor. But for me, we went camping. But it wasn't just normal camping. It was wild camping. So we have three children. And um, we just took sleeping bags and roll mats and bivy bags and slept actually on the South Downs. You're not really meant to. <laughs> on the side of a hill. Um, and under the stars. And it was September. It was really, really hot last September. You might remember one hot weekend. And 
in the middle of the night, my six-year-old daughter opened her eyes and just said, wow, that is amazing. And she could just see all the stars. She'd never seen that before. But then in the morning, they all leapt up when the sun was rising and it was far too early and ran from one side of the hill to the other because the view was glorious. The mist was uh, resting on the land and all the hills around it peeking out and steeples and temples. And the children were just running, just going, look at this, look at this. And we were like, oh, this is so gorgeous. Our children are appreciating nature as God intended. So enjoying nature is central to God's whole purpose. It's so good for our souls. And of course, we rely on it for basic food and for shelter. But if you were an alien landing on our earth, I think you would not be too mistaken if you thought it was not something, it was something that most of us, at least in our country, did not count as all that precious at all. I know that some people like facts, so I'm going to read out some facts. Um, Sometimes it's hard for them to sink in, so I'll just give a bit of space for us to dwell on them. Air pollution in China in 2010 contributed to over 1.2 million deaths. And heartbreakingly, there are some children there who have never seen a blue sky or a star because of the air pollution that they always live under. In the past 40 years, my lifetime, Earth has lost half its wildlife species. Most fish stocks are already fully or overexploited. In 32 years' time, the world's total fish catch could just be a tenth of what it is at its peak. We're not really looking after our world, this beautiful world. And I can only imagine how God's heart breaks. So our relationship with creation and our relationship with others. So this is the justice bit. Have have you ever got frustrated at a cause or something that you care about and you know is good, but somebody else can't see it? Well, that's what my 12-year-old son experienced two weeks ago at his Youth Alpha course. Unfortunately, the person who couldn't see it was a visiting adult from our diocesan office. So this is what he said. I'm going to read out what he told me. We were talking about sin, and I said, is it sin to buy my trainers? Because I know that they would have been made by unfairly paid workers who are not getting enough money to feed their family. The lady replied, no, because they're in the shop and they are already there, so you might as well buy them. But I said, it's about the principle though, isn't it? She went on, no, they would be there anyway. You don't have to worry about that. So I said, It's the same as getting on an aeroplane. You could say it's going to fly anyhow. But we know aeroplanes pollute the environment. By buying some trainers, you're saying it's fine to treat people badly. By going on the aeroplane, you're saying it's all right to pollute the environment. So much that eventually my great-great-great-great-grandchildren will have nowhere to live. Now, it's one of those moments where as a mother, I didn't know whether to be appalled at the certain level of disrespect he was talking to an adult or incredibly pleased that finally all these heartfelt discussions about trainers and taking flights seem to have sunken in a bit. But the thing that struck me was the lady's attitude. At least the sense I got from it was, it's okay to go on as we are. There's not much we can do about it. We might as well just 
fit in. As we know, God says, love our neighbor as ourselves. So if what I am doing is harming my global neighbor, then I really do need to think about that. So I'm not saying we should never buy trainers or never fly, because it's not that simple. But I am saying that we do need to consider these things and the overall impact of our lifestyle on creation and on others and make good choices in response as part of our worship to God. The way we live and the way we consume and the way we heat our houses does have an effect on people living in poverty. I've talked to people in countries such as Bangladesh where local people have cut down mangroves, which are trees that grow on the coast. I've seen these mangroves. And because they're cut down, as as storms come or eventually as sea levels rise, the sea is coming into the land already and causing the soil to become too saline. So you can't grow crops anymore. Or in Nepal, I talk to people where they're regularly experiencing flash floods from their neighboring river. And that's because the glacier in the Himalayas is melting and causing flash floods much more regularly in the past. And again, it's flooding that agricultural land. So these people are already poor and they're already struggling to survive. And yet the impact of damaging the local environments or things like melting the glacier because of global warming is already affecting their lives. Tearfund is working with these communities to support them as they seek to adapt to the changes but the challenge is really great. And with the damage to the environment, they're getting greater. So let's look at Luke and God's heart for the poor. It says, this is the good news bit, that Jesus was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. This was at the beginning of his ministry when he unrolled this scroll and read out the words of Isaiah. And he's setting out the main idea of what he came here to do. He came to bring good news to the poor. It's a good message that's being proclaimed to them. What does that mean as we think about what they're experiencing today? But it is a message of hope. So we know that although the problems in our world are many and complex, that there is hope amongst Christians as we're called to respond to them. If we're called to have lives that are also good news to the poor, then God will give us the strength to carry it out. It's well in line with God's ministry. So somehow, even though the problems are great, we don't have to feel overwhelmed. In verse 19, it says, He has sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this reference is a reference to the Jubilee. Israel's relationship with God and Israel's way of life was governed by a series of promises and laws. These affected their lifestyles and the way they lived. The lifestyle of people in Israel included regular seasons of work and rest. So they worked for six days, six days on, and then one day off with the Sabbath. They also worked the land six years on and one year off with the Sabbath rest. That's in Leviticus 25, the Sabbath year, so that the land could rest. Because if you exploit land all the time, I'm not a farmer, but that's what people say in practical ways, you have to let it rest in order for it to produce fruit for the long term. And then finally, there's an additional year off every 50th year with the year of Jubilee. And this is the kingdom year, the the year of the divine kingdom. It was an equalizer. It was where slaves were set free, debts forgiven, and land 
was restored to families that had had to sell it since the previous Jubilee. All these principles help us to acknowledge that we and the land itself have limits. It helps us to care about ourselves and creation and is respectful of the fact that everything you own has been given to you by God and that we all stand equally loved and valued in God's eyes. I have um, an image at work that's been photoshopped and it's a picture of three Earths in the solar system. And, um, and the um, statistic to go with it is that if everybody lived like we do in Europe, we would have to have three Earths. So we are living way beyond our quota. Um, and we only have one Earth. So that's why there are these principles. That's why we have to live within limits, because actually we are limited. These principles can help us to think about our third relationship, our relationship with ourselves. Jubilee also teaches us that financial success and security are not the most important thing in life. But actually, in our society, we're often constantly satisfied with what we have, even though most of us, sorry, dissatisfied with what we have, even though most of us have enough. And actually, this constant pressure on ourselves is really stressful. I don't have time to list all the ways that consumerism is a, and a pressure to be successful in our society and world's eyes can impact us psychologically. But there are stories every day that appear in the news about this. On Friday, I got a paper and read that one in four women aged between 16 and 24 have self-harmed. This is not a great world, is it, if that's what the way we live is doing to our minds. The rich lifestyle that we have doesn't seem to be doing us any good. So this isn't about blaming people. These symptoms are real, and it's very painful when you experience them. But let's recognize that the expectations we feel to live and perform a certain way so much of the time do not come from God. Our relationship with God. So idolatry is a failure of worship to God. It's a worship of something else. As we overcome in ourselves the idolatry of greed and overconsumption, we find that we are able to enter much more fully into true worship and what it means to live a truly human life in all its fullness. The passage from Romans 12 guides us further in this. It's an exhortation. It's directed to us to respond. So given all that we've looked at in the four relationships with creation, others, ourselves, and God, what are we to do? In view of God's mercy, it says in verse 1, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So there is a sacrifice. And it's not about what we mustn't do. It's not about just about not harming others or not damaging nature. It's actually proactive. There's a dedication involved. It's about offering all our living energies into God's hands for acts of service. And this builds on what my son was explaining to the no doubt lovely woman from the diocese. He was saying, it's what we mustn't do. Mustn't buy trainers. But here we see that we can also go beyond that and start to shape and influence the world about us. So there is no guilt, but there is actually attention. God does ask us to make sacrifices. But remember that it's in view of God's mercy. It's his grace that gives us the honor to live like this. In verse 2 of Romans 12, 
It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are not to outwardly copy and conform to what's fashionable without questioning where our clothes come from or who might be affected by the way we live in other ways, including the impact it might have on our own state of mind. Rather, we're to be inwardly transformed. And here too is grace and mercy because this is wholly unattainable except through the constraining power of the love of Christ. So as we seek to live lives for God, it's not about us, but it's rather a gift from him. There are many rich and deep reasons why God wants us to care for the environment. My first thought when I got into the issue was my children and future generations and the legacy that we are leaving behind for others. And we have seen that the story of broken relationships uh, is playing out. So we have creation and the damage we're doing to that, others and how our lifestyles have an impact on the poor, ourselves and the effect of consumerism on our own mental health and God and how we live it out through our worship. God is in the process of transforming all things in a way that will be absolutely glorious. So what can we do? I know that you're already making a start in this church. There are three areas that we could look at as individuals and as a church. Uh, Firstly, it's our own awareness and others' awareness. So we could study the facts more about climate change. We could study what the Bible says about caring for for the environment and caring for others. In Tear Fund, we have a resource online called Stir Up Suppers, and you can download talks and bring like you're doing at lunchtime today, bring meals that are sustainable and have not, maybe not in packaging or stuff that you've grown from vegetables you've grown your own, on, on your own. And this is a way to open up the conversation as a church. Secondly, you could get out into nature more. You have it on your doorstep more than I do. Um, you don't have to go wild camping to appreciate it. And lastly, make lifestyle changes. We have found in our house that doing something Maybe a new thing once a month is a good rhythm to get into. At the moment, we seem to be hitting a bit of a roadblock on eating meat because um, eating meat counts for a fifth of the world's greenhouse gases. So we're really trying to do that, but it doesn't seem as easy to me. I'm working at it. You can buy less, you can share more. And I know that as a church, you're considering becoming an eco-church, We are too in my church, and that's a great path because that will take you through many steps to look at different aspects of your lives. At Tearfund as well, we have a big church switch campaign which invites churches to switch to electricity that's sustainable. We've seen 700 churches sign up for that. So I'd like to close by asking you to take an action, to take a minute to sit silently and just think about what we've just heard And one response that you will take to care more for the environment. When you came in with your notes, you had a card, a greenish card, yeah, bluish card. Um, And we'd love it if you could complete the left-hand side. You might need to tear it off if you were going to do that. You can, on the card, make a pledge to make a change in your own lifestyle. And you can also tick a little box at the bottom, and then you can receive regular updates and ideas from the team I work for in Tearfund about how to continue on this journey. On the other side, if you wish, you can also write to your Member of Parliament about it. You can take that bit home.
So I think Louisa has got some pens and some more cards if anybody hasn't got one. So would you like, if you need a pen, raise your hand. And then at the end, you can hand them in as you go out, or to Louisa, I should think, (laughs) or me. Um, Should we just take a minute and then I close in prayer? Is that okay? May I close in prayer, please? Father God, thank you that all we have been given is from you. Help us to remember that. We trust that for everything you call us to do, you will give us the power and grace to implement it. So we open our hearts to you today and ask for you to lead us into the next steps as individuals and as a church. Amen.